0: Good morning. You're ready to get in the Word? If you've got a Bible, head over to uh, Luke chapter 20. We're still there, but we're almost finishing up at this point. Uh, so we are there, and as your way you're making there, as you make your way there. Uh, so when we lived in, in Kansas City, I was uh, driving my daughter, Sadie Piper. I think it was pre-K that she was on her way to at the time, and she was just chatting away about everything along the way. Uh, and this was shortly after her grandfather had died, and, and she asked this question, uh, does umpa in heaven, does umpa have stuff? And I said, I, I, I don't know for sure. Um, and she said, I think he has wine, but not milk, because there are no cows in heaven. I don't know why she's come to that conclusion, um, Anyway, uh, after some silence of, of asking these questions, she, she thinks about it for a moment, and, and she says, well, that is an interesting question, meaning her own question, referring back to it herself. Uh, she's just amazed by her own, you know, thoughtfulness at this point. Now, around the same time, it was an, uh, an interesting question that actually um, was a big catalyst for, for Laura and I taking a risk and leaving a great situation in Overland Park. Uh, to come out and be a part of this church plant in Manhattan. And that interesting question, I've told you all on a number of occasions, but it was, when was the last time you did anything that required faith? And we had to wrestle with that for a while. At the same time, Travis was trying to convince us this was a good idea. Uh, and it was a good idea. Anyway, uh, I'm kind of obsessed with interesting questions. If you ask me, give me your most interesting question. I probably couldn't tell you one on the fly, but... I, when I hear them, I love them. I love questions that help you get to know someone. The icebreakers we do in small groups. Um, I love riddles and trivia, even about really dumb things. But I really like those those questions that just kind of linger, just out of reach. That that the answer doesn't come immediately. Uh, those ones that are kind of like like honey on fingers that just stick to your brain and you just stay with you for a while. The ones the ones you just turn over like a Rubik's cube in the hopes of making some sense out of this question, those are the ones that really intrigue me. Now, one of our uh, presbytery missionaries was down in South Africa at a university once, and and he asked this question. He set out a goldfish in a bowl, and, and there's just a sign above it, and it's on a university that just said, when is fish free? And that to students trying to explain. Is it when he gets out of the bowl? Is he already free? Does he need to get somewhere else? What if he's in air? Can he breathe? And it was just this amazing thing of wrestling with that question, uh, trying to understand that. I love interesting questions. Now, our Lord in the passage that we're just about to read asked an incredibly interesting question. And if you've ever threw this on reading through scripture or reading through Luke, you probably read it and we're like, oh I'll just keep going. This is one of those. Deeply interesting, clearly to the Jews who heard it at this time. Um, So let's let's go ahead and and read it, and uh, we're going to start. I've got thirty nine in the in there, but we're going to start actually in verse forty one, which is where this passage picks up. He's just interacted with the scribes. Everyone's silent. No one's. No one will ask a question, and this is where Jesus is going to throw the quote. Or forty one, but he said to them, "How can they say that the Christ?" Christ is the son of David. For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, we have read your holy word. We have heard it our ears through the Holy Spirit. Now, please work in our hearts that we would receive it, believe it, so that we would understand it and be encouraged and challenged or changed by it. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So at this point in Luke, this has just been asked a ton of questions. If you think back to what we've been dealing with uh, for the last, well, for a long time, right? You can go all the way back to Luke 5, actually, begin where, where he's asked, who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Luke five later. Why why do you eat and drink drink uh, with tax collectors? And They just keep asking these questions. Why are you doing what is lawful not lawful for you to do on the Sabbath? What shall I do to inherit life? Who is my name? when will the kingdom come? By what authority are you preaching the gospel? Do we have to pay the, the tribute tax or not? And of course that question we heard last week. Right, Who, whose wife will this widow be since she's been married to seven guys? Uh, you know, at the resurrection, whose whose wife will it be? And one of the things we've seen over and over again is Jesus gives these amazing answers to whatever questions people ask him. And it leaves people silent. It leaves them not sure how to respond. He just answers them so beautifully. But on this day, where no one else will ask a question, it is into that stunned silence that Jesus just tosses out his own question and and lets it go there. And the weirdest part about this, I don't know if you've found this when we're reading it, the weird part is Jesus never answers the question. He just leaves. Is it there this is because you know Jesus wants them pondering this question because pondering this question answering this question this is going to lead them to something Jesus wants them to know about we are going to do this morning we are going to ponder this we are going to see where the crumbs that Jesus has left here uh, lead us to and the first thing you need to understand is to be able to kind of put this uh, this question that he asked into some sort of making sense uh, in way he means it the word Christ, just so you know this, that's not Jesus' last name. You've probably seen it before, Jesus the Christ. Christ is a a Greek word. It reflects, uh, it represents, it reflects rather the Hebrew word Messiah, meaning Messiah anyway. Uh, That's what Christ is, saying that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And so the scribe who didn't believe that Jesus is the Christ, as they hear him ask this question, you and I kind of hear him asking a question about himself. They hear him asking a question about the future Messiah that's been promised in the Old Testament. The mystery then of this question is, is why does King David refer to his son as Lord? And because that's not a normal thing that would happen. But in this culture, you might have a son refer to his father as Lord, but you would never have a father refer to his son as Lord. And, and that becomes the, the mystery to begin with here. Now, as I mentioned, in the Old Testament, there is this initially vague idea that God is going to send someone to be a savior, to be the rescuer of his people. And, and as the Old Testament goes on, God begins to reveal more and more detail about who this person is that is going to establish this kingdom and bring peace and eternal life and be the king forever and ever. Now, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 15, one of the things we begin to learn is that this, this descendant of David, the Messiah, the Christ, is, is who it's going to be, and, and a, a little bit about who it's going to be. Now, God tells David, I will make you a great house, and then this is quoting from there. He says, when your days are, f- are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for you offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And then he says, "And I will establish the throne. Uh, I will establish the throne of his forever." Now, when you understand the the Old Testament prophecies, they sometimes have these temporal understandings of fulfillment, and then an ultimate fulfillment. And in this sense, I. Uh, King Solomon is a, a temporary, somewhat fulfillment of this, but he doesn't fulfill it all the way. Uh, and, and that's where Jesus comes and becomes the ultimate fulfillment of this. Now, the, the Jews at this time know one thing real well. They know that the Messiah will come from the lineage of David. And, and they also know at this point that Jesus is in the lineage of David, right? We saw it at the very beginning of his, of his birth. The whole, um, the begots explained it or early on in Luke. Or if you turn back, if you're still in Luke right there, Luke 18, look at verse 38. Remember, there's this blind beggar, and, and he's so desperate to get Jesus' attention, and we almost miss it when we, when we notice what he's doing, but he's calling out for the Lord, and in verse eight, 38, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's the way he begins to get Jesus' attention, right? Something God has done in this guy's life that he identifies him as that, and, he, and he's saying something about who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, uh, Matthew 21.9 actually talks about the, the crowds during the triumphal entry, that they're, they're shouting, blessed or, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We, we, we see it again. It's all over where you see people understand that the Messiah is the Son of David and they're, they're identifying Jesus that way. Um, it's so wide, widely understood, right? It's, it reminds me of that commercial, actually, you know, the, the one where, like, we all see it. We all see it. You haven't seen it. You haven't seen it. You've seen it? Okay, someone's seen it. Anyway, Stucky clearly hadn't seen it, or we'd hear him laughing up here. Um, so anyway, everyone knows the Messiah is the descendant of David. That is just common knowledge at this point. But 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 then Jesus asked this question that makes them rethink that, right? He asked, how can they say that the Christ is the son of, uh, the son of David? And then in verse 42, he gives the reason for them to consider this deeper. Jesus says, for David himself says in the book of Psalms. Now, this is Psalm 110, if you want to know that. You can turn over there and look at it if you want. The reason they, Jesus doesn't say Psalm 110, in case you're wondering, is because uh, it's not till the 13th century that these chapters' numbers are going to be given, given to any of the books. Uh, so anyway, Jesus says, For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And see, Jesus' point here is, is not what the first question sounds like. He's not trying to deny that the Messiah is the descendant of David. See, to understand this, uh, Jesus' point here, you, you have to understand what's really going on in that sentence, the Lord said to my Lord. You have your Bible, you're to Psalm, uh, Psalm 110, I hope, look at it, right? Because I want you to tell me something about this passage. Have it right in front of you, Psalm 110, first verse. Now, your English Bibles, our English Bibles are really good. You can trust them. They are, they are fantastic, truly. But, but this is one area. If you're not real careful, you're going to miss something significant in the text. Um, so here, here's where it is. Let me show you. Uh, what do you notice different about the two instances of the word Lord there? What's different from the first one and the second one? One has all caps. The first one has all caps. The second one does, right? Good job. Do you know why? Why? I know some of you probably do. I see some head shakes. Here's what's going on. Uh, To let us know what's going on in the English, uh, the translation works this way. It's actually two different Hebrew words that are going on here being translated here. So when you see all caps in in an Old Testament thing being translated, or verse, not thing, uh, it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh, or if you're really trying to sound Jewish, Yahweh, right? Uh, Yahweh is the main name of God. This is the name that Jews wouldn't say out loud. This is the name that that they wouldn't put the the vows in it because this is such a holy name to be honored. It's it's considered just the sacred and holy name of God the Father. And so, and, and so then when when only the first letter, like the second instance here of Lord, is capitalized, right? Only the first letter. It's translated from the word the Hebrew word Adonai. Uh, this also means God, right? It means Lord, really specifically. Uh, in, in the sense that, meaning it's, it's translated as God often. It's not only used for people, um, but it is, it is often used for anything that just means Lord. It doesn't carry the same weight as Yahweh. And, and in this case, it's a reference to the Messiah that is to be to come. And so if you look again at Psalm 10, you can begin to see that it's saying, Yahweh said to my Adonai, or, or to summarize it in a more English way, the Lord God Almighty says to my Lord, the Messiah, right? So begin to understand this, I hope. This this conversation is between God the Father and the Messiah, who we know is Christ, Jesus. Um, and so God speaks to the Messiah, who and, and he says, sit at my right hand. And that's another phrase that has a lot of meaning, or symbolism in it, right? To sit at the right hand of the king is to receive the kingdom. It's the uh, it means you have authority and power and honor but this isn't just any king that he's told to sit next to this is the lord god himself now this is a reference to christ's positions right now as well we know this uh, hebrews 1 1 through 4 to 4 you can just listen to this long ago at many times and in many ways god spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Listen to this. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That is where Christ is. Jesus, the, the God the Son, sits at the right hand of Yahweh, God the Father, and nine verses later in Hebrews, or Hebrews one thirteen, we read this. And to which the angels has He ever said, "Sit at My right hand till I make your your enemies a footstool for your feet." Do you recognize that? That's also Psalm one ten. That's what Jesus is quoting from in this passage. Now, when you hear that word footstool, I don't want you to think of the ottoman, like. Um, the thing you put your feet up on you're, when you're sitting there, it's just this comfy, relaxing thing. Uh, you really need to encompass this in a full understanding of this. Uh, you know, the footstool, it, it's more a picture of you've defeated your enemy and, and now your boots on their neck because the battle is over. You can rest. The war is over. It is finished. It will not go on anymore. That, that's the image of a footstool. Right? So it'd be more like using your little brother as your Ottoman would, would fit that a little better, where your enemy actually becomes that position of rest. Um, so a at, at small group this week, those of you that are there, uh, y'all read First Corinthians 15, and it speaks about how terrible, right? That it'd be the worst thing in the world if the resurrection wasn't real, if Christ was not resurrected. But then Paul says, indeed, Christ is raised from the dead. And then he explains uh, that because of the sin of Adam, death, Death comes to all of us. And then he explains that because of Jesus, those who belong to Jesus will be raised to life. And then, beginning in verse 24, listen to this he says, Then comes the end, when Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father, and after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. That's Psalm 110 again. Psalm 110 is about Jesus. That's what it's about. Now, let's, let's put this all together, right? Put the, the Rubik's Cube in order so that we can understand what, what this mysterious question of Jesus, this lingering question of Jesus, is really leading us toward, towards. Now, remember, the question is this. If the Christ is the son of David, why does, the Lord, why does David call him Lord? What Jesus wants them to see, what Jesus wants us to see, is that the Christ, that Jesus himself, is more than just David's descendants. Jesus is, in fact, superior to King David because he is, in fact, David's God. And that's why the Messiah is truly David's Lord as David points out himself there in Psalm 110. Now, th- this brings us to a conclusion, and I know a lot of you are thinking, well, that wasn't so, that was anticlimactic. We already know that. We know Jesus is the Son of God. That didn't teach us anything. But but this would have been absolutely mind-blowing to, to the Jewish people who had been wrestling with that question at the time, pondering, right? They know he's the Messiah, but but now they're learning, right? And it just explicitly as they as they ponder this, that in fact, he's greater than David because... Jesus is, in fact, God, the, the, the Son of God, divine, right? And so, in summary, Jesus' question has revealed three things to us. One was the obvious one. Uh, we learned that the Christ is the descendant of David. Okay, we know that. Everyone knows that now. Second, we learn that the Christ is greater than David. He is the divine Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Okay, we know that. Third, We learn that having eternally ruled with God the Father long before David even existed, Jesus really is David's Lord. So now I want to give you two points of application, um, or the way Rodney puts it during our men's study on Wednesday. We want to put legs on this, right? This is application. Um, The first one is simple. Don't expect the second one to go by as quickly. The first one is this, believe rightly. We don't always think of that as an application, but, but that's an application. Believe rightly that Jesus is, is not just a good teacher, that Jesus is not just a good man, but, a, but truly divine. He is God. Know that. Believe that. Okay, Jesus is the only man we worship because Jesus is the only man who is God. And the other application, and like I said, we're going to dig into this a bit more. You need to know this. This is a simple way to put it. You need to know that Jesus is Lord over all, and thus Jesus is Lord over you. Jesus is Lord over you. Now, it, it doesn't matter if you agree with this or not. Jesus is the rightful Lord over your life, over your soul. And, and some, people, um, some people are like the, the, the peasant scene in Monty Python, right, who, who says to her king, well, I didn't vote for you, right, right? You're not my king. Or, or some think, you know, I'm, I'm Lord of this manor. I am my own king. I will do what I want. I'm an independent individual. And, and you, you might do that, right? You, you might do what you want, but that doesn't change the fact, uh, the reality that Jesus is your rightful king, whether you acknowledge this to be true or not. In the 1990s, there was this renegade group that tried to reestablish the Republic of Texas. And if I'm honest, I was kind of rooting for them on one level, uh, <clears throat> right? But what they did was wrong. They just declared, this, this is our own nation out in West Texas. This is the Republic of Texas. We're back. But it wasn't real. It, it didn't matter what they said. It didn't matter how much they, they decided to just declare this to be the case. You know, as much as I hate to admit it, they, the land that they were claiming actually belonged to the United States of America. So uh, of course it, it didn't work, or you know that's where my citizen would be. Anyway, it didn't work, and and in the end, what happens? Lives were lost. Everything was lost. An absolute desire, this, what's the word? Disaster. An absolute disaster. That's the word you shouldn't have to think of. Uh, so many today, if we're honest, we've just you know many today have just declared this independence from God. You, you know these people. You interact with these people that outweigh. They've set up their life as their own little kingdom. They've, they've named themselves, I am the Lord of my own life. No one else can decide what's right or wrong but me. And sadly, in the end, those who claim their independence from God, they are going to find out that it's not real. It doesn't matter how much you declare this, it's not real. It's, it's like the renegades in Texas. They, 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 too, will lose everything in the end. You see, hashtag not my Lord won't mean anything when you are standing before the all-powerful, holy, true Lord of everything. Won't mean anything. In Philippians 2.10, the Apostle Paul says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where this question that Jesus ask is 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 leading everyone who ponders it not not only is is jesus the lord of david jesus is the lord of everyone who's ever existed jesus is the lord of lords the king of kings he reigns supreme and so then because jesus is lord his lordship demands and deserves our faith our repentance our obedience jesus is lord of me he is lord of you more so than honestly any of us probably acknowledge on, on the average day. He is. You know people, so you, so you know that most people, most unbelievers, are, are really fine with Jesus in theory, right? They don't care if, if you know, okay, you love Jesus, great, okay, that's fine. But, but they're not okay with, with Jesus having authority over the way someone lives their life, especially their own life. They're not okay with that. Now, the the scriptures are saturated with the grace of God and the gospel. They are everywhere. But we also find that much of what we learn in the scriptures is instruction for how our Lord desires us to live our lives as his people. And so what about us, right? This is where it becomes personal. The age has, has shown me that even in the church, even amongst Christians, that, that many people come to faith and they come with this, this excitement. They just, they're so excited about the grace they have received and, and they overflow with love for Jesus and it's the greatest thing in the world like it should be and they desire their life to just be conformed to the scriptures and, and that's their greatest hope. And, 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 then, and then somewhere down the line, sadly, Many begin to drift away out of communion with God. Their, their love for Jesus, their desire for obedience, it just, it just fades. You see their faith weaken, and other than a few minutes, maybe on Sunday morning, their, their, their intentional repentance just dries up. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if many of you have been there at some point in your life. I've been there at points in my life. Maybe you're there right now. I, I don't know. Maybe you need to remember that God's word is for you to know Him. To remember that His word is for you to know how deeply He loves you, for you to remember the grace of God for you, but also to know how you are to live under His lordship. Kind of bring our thoughts back to there. You you know, I hope you know this, right? Jesus is not your your spiritual guru. He's not your therapist. He's not your eternal life insurance agent. Jesus is your king. He is your Lord. You belong to him. He is worthy of your faithful submission to him and to his word. And this means, right, the opposite of that, right? I am not my own Lord. My life is to be lived according to Jesus alone, not just whatever I think is best at any given moment. We, we don't wing these kind of things. It's true that Jesus receives all who come to him, but equally true is that all who come to him will acknowledge Jesus as their Savior and their one true Lord. In other words, there is no such thing as a man or a woman who has saving faith in Jesus, and yet Jesus is not his or her Lord. There is no such thing. Now, don't, don't hear me wrong on this. This doesn't mean you won't sin, and if you sin, it somehow proves you are not really have your faith in Jesus. It doesn't even mean you're gonna have a, you won't have a struggle with a habitual sin that you continue to fight against. Sometimes, just before the silent confession, I don't, I don't know, luckily we're down low here, so you can't really peek in on what's going on real well, but sometimes Laurel will lean over to Berkeley and, and say something like, do you need any help confessing your sins? Because I have none to confess this week, none at all. Uh, right beforehand, and and Berkeley will tell her, "Yes, you do." You know, sometimes she'll even tell her, "You you probably need extra time this week, Mom." <laughs> and, and the whole point of it, right, is this this humorous way of just making a point that mom's sin, that dad's sin, that we continue to sin, and that we conti- and that means that we continue to repent, we continue to to look to Jesus and rest in Jesus and hope in Jesus. But listen, as we as Christians. We, we know that we are under the lordship of Jesus. And so we desire to live more and more in accordance to God's way, even if we can't do it perfectly. Now, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn over real quick. Romans 6, verses 17 and 18. Romans 6, 17 and 18. And keep it open in a minute, because we're going to co- read it, and then we're going to come back to it in a minute. It says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, this passage drives some people nuts. It's one of those ones I just want to delete out of Scripture because it bothers them, because it says uh, that we're still slaves, right? Right? In other, other passages, we'll just speak of our freedom we have in Christ and leave it at that. Uh, and, and yet here we're seeing this, right? Uh, set free from sin. And, and freedom sounds good, but being made slaves of righteousness, that's just, yeah, right? That, that's the general response to that. Now, I want you to take a closer look at Romans 6. It says, in the past, we were slaves to sin. In other words, in the past, sin was our Lord, that, that's the master that we, we, we obeyed, that we sought after, that we wanted to please. And, and then it says, we have become, you notice this, we have become obedient from the heart. You've got to see that to understand this passage. We have become obedient from the heart. It's an obedience that we desire to have, that we delight to have. We are willingly submitted to Jesus, and thus we have this desire for righteousness. That's who we are now. Christian, you know this, and you know this from experience. Don't you desire to be righteous, to live holy? And I, I know there's that pushback because some of you are thinking, not all the time, not all the time. Sometimes I long for sin, I want it. I, I just do, that's what I desire. And, and I'm asking you this, in the fuller sense of your life, you step back in the moments when you're thinking straight, in the moments when you are walking in, in closeness to God, do you not desire to be holy? You do. And that desire is a work of the Holy Spirit in you because sin is no longer your Lord. Oh, it's there. You will sin, but sin is no longer your Lord. Now it is Jesus, and so now you seek to obey righteousness. You understand this? Our obedience as Christians isn't now in fear that God is going to whip us or punish us because of our failure. This is what we're seeing in Romans 6. We, we, we know, he knows us as his children, and he loves us. And the love of God for us in the gospel is more sacrificial than any other, other love ever. And so we want to obey him because, because we love him. I mean, that, that's what Jesus says in John 14, 50, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments only god only the lord of lords the lord of your heart can say something like that because jesus is the true lord of everyone right that that's just objective truth it's just reality like like we said before with the renegades and such but but this morning my my prayer my my pastoral hope for you for us is is that you will evaluate that idea subjectively in other words consider what's what's going on in your head what's What's going on in your heart? Do do you truly acknowledge Jesus as your Lord, as your King? Do you? Is Jesus Lord over your relationships or your pursuit of relationships? Is Jesus Lord over your marriage? Is he Lord over your friendships, your academic or career pursuits? Is he Lord over those? Is Jesus Lord over your internet usage? Is Jesus Lord over your finances? Is, is Jesus Lord as you pick out your next Netflix? Is Jesus Lord over the way that you, you speak about other people? The way you think about other people? Is Jesus Lord of your future? Do you, do you trust him or do you, do you want to be in control of it all? See, this is where my, my prayer for the Holy Spirit to bring, is for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction in your hearts. If there is a, an area of your life that you have just held on to tightly, right, just in one way or another, where, you, where you've just in essence said to God, no, not this, that this little bit, this little bit is mine. You just hold it from God. You know, as, as Abraham Kuyper famously said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Christian, the only response in this is, is to say, yes, Lord, yours. Can you say that? But this doesn't mean even in these areas you won't fail at times. But, but if Jesus is your Lord, then you will continue to trust him. You'll continue to come to him knowing he's gracious, continue to repent, continue to, to rest in his indelible grace for you, and continue to, to learn to submit our lives to him. Okay, so Jesus is the descendant of David. Jesus is also the divine son of God, and as such, he is David's Lord, and he is your Lord. If, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't trust in Jesus, and, and acknowledge him as your Lord, That's what you need to do today, plain and simple. That's more important than anything else in your life, is to not just know that Jesus is the Lord of the universe, but indeed he is your Lord. For the rest of you, if our faith is in Jesus, we we need to spend some time thinking about how our life shows we we love and acknowledge Jesus as our Lord. It doesn't mean we fake it. But it's a way to analyze our life what what does my love for jesus look like and and then pray asking god to to do what we saw in romans 6 right that 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 he would make us obedient from the heart from the heart now i want to end with a a quote from timothy keller he was uh uh he's still alive he's just no longer the pastor but he's a pastor of a a pca church in another manhattan somewhere um Inferior, yes, an inferior Manhattan. He says, he says this, he says, The gospel is not about something we do, but about something, uh, but is about what has been done for us. And yet the gospel results in a whole new way of life. In other words, we submit our lives to the lordship of Christ, not in order to to be saved, but we do so because we are saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, who is both the son of David and the Lord of David and also the Lord of all. Lord, teach us and empower us through the Holy Spirit to submit our lives to him, every area of our lives, not not just in empty words, but truly and wholeheartedly Lord, it is in the name of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.